Swamiji, in the group dynamics of a project, uh, it seems that sometimes people will offer destructive criticism. They'll just sort of take down what you're trying to do and not... Uh... I had to face an awful lot of that in the beginning of Ananda. And I would always say, okay, give me an alternative. And uh, usually they didn't, but if they did, I listened to them. I, I think that it's necessary to listen, to hear people out, because people can often come up with good ideas that may be completely uh, new to what you're thinking. We can't be omniscient, so we should always hear. We should have respect for people. And uh, the fact that they are new, the fact that they're younger, the fact that they're um, inexperienced, these don't have anything to do with it. Sometimes a little child can come up with a very creative solution. And so listen to everybody with respect. But if they don't offer alternatives, then I say, I'm not interested in negative criticism. Give me an alternative. And that would shut 90% of them up. <laughs> Swamiji, when you were beginning the Ananda communities, did you have a a clear visualization or a clear idea of what it should become? You know, if you have too fixed an idea, then it doesn't succeed. You have to have a direction. Even now when people see what, ask me, what do you see for the future of Ananda? I'll say I see a direction. I don't see specific things because those become, uh, they freeze an idea. But uh, um, what was the question again? <laughs> well, just did you have a specific idea for what I did it not. Be? I wanted a community where people lived together in peace and harmony and brotherhood. I knew that they had to support themselves. I didn't have any fixed ideas to how. I knew that uh, um, certain ways would work and other ways wouldn't. But I was willing to listen to them. And so I did not have a fixed idea except that I wanted land and I wanted a group of people, but, you know, I started Ananda back in the hippie days. Mm -hmm. I, the first, we signed the papers for the first major acquisition of land in 69, July 4th, 1969. <laughs> and uh, I got the first land in 67. So right around there, and the people who came in the beginning, many of them were uh, hippie types who just wanted to do it their way. I remember, to give you an idea of the hippie mentality, there was a bookstore in the Haight-Ashbury district in San Francisco where I was living, not in the Haight-Ashbury, but in San Francisco. And uh, there was this, they, he had a temple in the back which he wanted people to use for meditation, but they would just go and crash, you know, sleep and get over drug hang-ups and whatever. And uh, so he wanted me to come and show slides of India. And I came in there with Jyotish, and I said, well, we're going to be showing some slides of India. Freak out, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, the fuse blew after three slides, and we had to leave. <laughs> but uh, there were that kind of consciousness. I know that people who take marijuana, they used to say that I love everybody. What I found they loved was the people who took marijuana also. Other people, they didn't. They, they could see blood on my arm and love that beautiful red color against the white flesh. It wasn't love. 
It was an aesthetic thing. And I had, we had to make very definite rules. Absolutely no drugs, no alcohol. Yet I had to be open in a sense. There was an older member, he was 77 or so, Honnell Cassidy, and he used to drink wine with his meals. Well, there was no danger of his becoming a drunkard. I was not going to become rigid, so I didn't say anything. And I didn't have it myself, but I didn't say anything about him. But with others, I did have to be firm. When they used to say, well, at least we won't take drugs on this property, but when we go off the property, that's our own business. I wouldn't accept that. I had to be firm. And uh, you can't you can't be you can't do a thing in this world if you're not firm in your own ideas. I was lenient, I was respectful, I listened, but in the end I had to be firm. Go ahead. When uh, there's conflict also not only with ideologies like that, but within a family, when uh, parents, for example, are afraid of their children getting on the spiritual path. What advice do you have? What do you have? Jesus said, Who is my father, mother, brother, sister, but him who loves God? What can you do? I have, I've always drooled with envy when I've seen people on the path whose relatives come to. None of mine seem interested. They're good people. I never knew my parents to have an argument. And yet, when it comes to seeking God, my mother got into it, but nobody else. It's just, uh, what do you do? I think you have to leave. I know Fritz Kreisler said, I had to leave my mother and come to America to become Fritz Kreisler. You have to leave your family and strike out on your own. Otherwise, you're just held by the familial warmth mm -hmm. and never break out of it. His mother didn't want him to leave Vienna. His mother wanted him to stay in Austria, and he could never become Fritz Geisler if he hadn't just decided to do it himself. We've got to break those ties. But with people that you've chosen, people who are your friends, then those differences, you have to choose your friends. Your friends cannot be just those who like you or whom you like, those who have similar qualities. They can't be drinking buddies. They have to be people of high ideals who will help to lift you also into a higher state of consciousness. There's an exchange of magnetism between people. Seek people who, are, uh, who have the kind of magnetism you want. If you want to be a businessman, then don't mix with business failures. Mix with business successes. If you want to be a good artist, mix with good artists. Don't mix with people who just dabble, and so on. Luigi, um, to create a balance in yourself, supposing I want to become a businessman, but I'm already heavily weighted towards that kind of energy in my life, uh, it would be an overbalance, for example. Um, when do you decide to create a balance that emphasizes something different? You'll decide when you decide it's not making you happy. Yeah. When you see this is not enough, I need something more, then you begin to seek others. Many, actually, many businessmen, Yogananda's most advanced disciples were businessmen. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't think so, but they had reached that point of knowing. They had the ability to concentrate. I myself was very much of an artist and so on. I had nothing to do with businessmen. I grew up with businessmen. I grew up in the 
largest company in the world, Esso, Standard Oil of New Jersey at that time was the largest. And I had all of that surrounding. I didn't want that because I found that, yes, they were good people. They weren't greedy. They weren't avaricious. They were kindly and nice family men, but they were so average. I wanted something that inspired me. And so I didn't want anything to do with businessmen. And here I found that Yogananda's chief disciples were businessmen. Then I had to realize that there you can't you can't pigeonhole people with definitions. People are just people. Swamiji, you mentioned you wanted something inspiring. How have you managed that quest for inspiration and how do you keep that inspiration strong? Well, that's a very interesting question because it really touches my entire life. From the beginning, my search has always been for truth. And I was very careful to tell the truth. I was very careful to see what was right. But uh, when I was 13, I wanted to become an astronomer because I thought, I, when I know what all the heavens are like, that'll give me truth. And then I realized that I may know how many galaxies there are. I may know how the solar system works. That doesn't touch me. So I want something that will inspire me as a human being. So I left science. I remember I had been trying to make a mirror to make a telescope, six-inch mirror. And after six months, I almost had it finished when it slipped off the, the, off the bench and cracked. It was discouraging. But I had reached the point then by, of thinking, no, this is not what I'm looking for anyway. And then I thought, well, maybe through politics. And I thought communism or some other system will do it, democracy, whatever. And I came to realize that systems don't create people. People create systems. The best system of the world, in the world, won't make people good if people are not good. You have to be good, then any system will work. So politics didn't work. Then I tried the arts. I found they didn't work finally. And I saw that even many of the Nazi leaders were expert connoisseurs of art, and yet they could act so atrociously. And I saw that an aesthetic sense is not proper inspiration. I had pushed away the word God because I didn't want to think in terms of uh, a judge or somebody who was like a policeman waiting for me to make a mistake. And one time I reached the point of realizing there has to be a God. If so, then what is God? And I took this long walk into the countryside and I thought, well, God has to be consciousness and because I'm conscious. And if he's consciousness, then the more in tune I am with his consciousness, which is my own higher self, the clearer minded I am. The more I obscure that attunement by drinking or whatever it might be, the less aware I am. Therefore, my duty in life must be to seek God. Finally, I came to understand that that is the duty of all life. Our job in life is to know who we are. And we have come from God. We were made by God. God is, as he has been defined in India, ever-existing, ever-conscious, ever-new bliss. And the more we have of bliss, the more we have of God. And so... Um, we need to 
uh, do that in our lives which will bring us bliss. And so that is the inspiration I'm looking for. I know in a play I wrote, this materialist says, God is in everything. That means God is in money. That means the more I have of money, the more I have of God. Simple. But it doesn't work that way. Inspiration is bliss. And the more you have of bliss, the more you have of God. So inspiration, finally, means to open myself to that higher self, which is blissful. And if I'm kind to people, I feel more blissful. That's why Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When I share with others, I feel happier. When I help to feed other people and not just think of me, I'm happier. That's why in my, my story, The Time Tunnel, there's this little girl who's asked, would you give a very good dessert to somebody who's weeping? He said, well, I don't know. <laughs> and he says, but you would, wouldn't you feel happier? She finally realizes, yes, she would feel happier if she shared. We need to learn inspiration from those terms.